It's another big week in the NFL for the Denver Broncos. This is the Broncos Wire podcast, powered by USA Today Sports. Now, your host, Ryan O'Leary and Broncos Wire editor, John Heath. All right, welcome to the program. I'm Ryan O'Leary here alongside, as I am each week, with Broncos Wire editor John Heath. And John, we have a Broncos win to talk about. What's going on? How you doing? I'm doing good. It's nice to finally have a win to talk about. And, you know, it, it's the lowly Jets who are one of the worst, if not the worst teams in the NFL. But you can only play who's on the schedule. And, yeah, so yes. it's oh. it's against a bad team, but a win is a win. And, you know, Brett Rippon, he had those three interceptions. Two of them were really bad. One of them was just kind of a a fluky thing where he misread the coverage and that's going to happen. And he's the kind of guy that you hope that he'll learn from that because he's a film nut and whatnot. So he even said after the game, they tricked him with the coverage. And then later there was a similar situation with the exact same coverage. And he actually beat him with a deep pass to Tim Patrick. So even in that same game, he learned from it. And, you know, he's going up against a bad defense. He had three interceptions, but I still think even with the turnovers, he was much better than Jeff Driscoll. Sometimes he held the ball too long still, but he still got it out of his hands faster than Driscoll did. He was sacked many fewer times than Driscoll was. So I think they definitely made the right decision to start him. Who knows if he'll go this week or if Drew Locke might or might not be able to return this week. I might be getting a little ahead on the podcast topics with that, but I think it was the right decision to start him last week, and he took advantage of it. So way back in week one, uh, speaking of Vic Fangio, I was a little critical of uh, Fangio. He was in my doghouse, John. I'm sure he cared a lot that. I'm sure he cared deeply about being stuck in my doghouse. Uh, I'm going to officially let Fangio out of my doghouse because this was my favorite Fangio game ever. It was kind of fun to see Broncos-Jets on Thursday night yeah it wasn't the sexiest matchup but it was kind of fun it was a fun game to watch it was fun to watch like you know other professional athletes commenting on brett rippin right and uh, sam darnold yeah team. and uh that run by sam darnold which wolf broncos defense what the hell was that that was terrible but anyway this was my favorite fangio game ever and here's why first of all he didn't bail on rippin when he was having a uh you know basically a meltdown in that fourth quarter as you said he throws the pick six a few plays later, he throws another interception, right? I was like, oh, no, he's he's losing it on national TV. But I even tweeted, like, I'm all in on the ripping experience. Like, roll with it. Let's go. Like, this is what you – it's a roller coaster. Just roll with it. Vic Fangio rolled with the Brett Rippin experience, kept him in, and what happened? The kid won him the game. And then, John, I loved when he ghosted Adam Gase postgame because that raging dink, calling those timeouts in the closing seconds, meaningless timeouts to extend the game. I don't know why I was still watching, but I still was. Gase was calling meaningless timeouts. Then the Jets are like hitting Rippin after the play. Like, you know what I mean? Like they're, they're taking unnecessary shots at the quarterback. Fangio was obviously uh, pissed about that. Said all the right things post game, but really he was like, you know, screw off Gase. Like he didn't meet him in midfield or anything. He just went right to the locker room and whisked his players away. Loved it, loved it, loved it. Gase is an embarrassment, and I'm all in on Fangio now. He's my guy. Yeah, I I agree that Gase is an embarrassment. I can't believe he's still there as their coach, and I can't imagine he's going to last the full year. But Fangio did claim, like you mentioned, he said that him and Gase are on fine terms and that they exchanged texts the next day. He was saying that. 
uh, Denver's sideline was really upset about the hits on Rippian late in the game, as you could expect. Garrett Bowles, especially their left tackle, Bowles was running and like he was going to go take someone's head off. So I think Fangio was trying to just de-escalate like a potential midfield fight at the end of the game. And you don't want something like that to happen. So he's telling everybody to get straight to the locker room. So I wouldn't be surprised if he was a little heated with Gase himself, but he said that it was mostly about de-escalating the situation. So I don't know if our listeners could hear uh, my dog barking in the background now, but that's Ollie, just to let everybody know. Yeah, I am in my podcast hey, studio. Ollie, how's it going? Yeah, I'm in my podcast studio at home in my laundry room. So uh, welcome to 2020. This is how we record these podcasts. Uh, yeah. But I do want to get into uh, Rippin's total the experience. Like, what do you think about the start overall, John? I thought overall pretty good like bouncing back from those interceptions leading the team down on that drive after the Jets took the 28-27 lead he drives down he converts that huge huge third down which you mentioned earlier to Tim Patrick great ball down the sideline to Patrick for like 31 yards gets him in field goal range McManus was banging him all night I don't know it was kind of fun to see him fall down and get back up at the end yeah uh, I think it was you or maybe even a couple other people I saw on Twitter as well were tweeting that the Brett Rippon experience kind of feels like the Brett Favre experience, you yeah, know, yeah. obviously the Brett and the number four connection, but just slinging it around, just throwing interceptions and then just coming right back and being like, I don't care. I'm going to throw it again. And sometimes it's another interception. And it's like, come on, dude, what are you doing? But it's, it's good to see that his confidence and since shattered, he just bounces back and it keeps going. And like I said before, if he learns from them, maybe he can start cutting some of them out and, that's a really good sign. You know, that's how you grow as a young quarterback. You're going to make mistakes. Are you going to make them over and over again? Or are you going to say, oh, this is what happened. Here's how I don't do that again. And it seemed like to a little bit of extent, we saw it even happen in the game on Thursday. Obviously, three interceptions is never good. You're not going to win many games like that. You're not going to go play the Patriots defense and throw three interceptions and win. So if he does play again this week, he's got to He's got to cut that out. But like you said, he was fun to watch. He made some fun plays and it was an exciting experience. Even with the interceptions, it was exciting to watch a Broncos game and it was exciting to watch a Broncos quarterback. And since Drew Locke got hurt, that hasn't been the case. So that was really refreshing. All right. So here's our fantasy segment by the huddle.com. And then coming up next, maybe we should start adding Tim Patrick to our fantasy lineups. He looked pretty good on Thursday night. We'll talk about that here. We'll be right back. Fantasy football is about proving that you are better than your friends. Sit them, start them. These are the fantasy picks of the week. It will kill me if this game ends in a tie. I need this win. This game's pretty much done. With Corey Bonini from TheHuddle.com. Corey Bonini with TheHuddle.com here to talk to you about fantasy football strong plays for week five. Quarterback Teddy Bridgewater faces the Atlanta Falcons, which is the worst defense of quarterbacks through four weeks. Atlanta has many injuries on the back end, and Carolina has plenty of ways to exploit this defense. It has been so bad even Nick Foles threw three touchdowns and a half just a couple weeks ago. With Matthew Stafford and Aaron Rodgers on a bye, consider Teddy Bridgewater as a viable starting quarterback. Jacksonville Jaguars running back James Robinson has the best matchup in the league for rushing yards generated. Houston has given up 651 yards on the ground in four games, including six rushing touchdowns. That's one every 20 carries. In addition, running back 
Jacks have added another touchdown through the air. There's no telling how Houston will respond to the firing of head coach Bill O'Brien this week, but what we do know is this is a prime matchup to be exploited, and Robinson should be a running back too in all redraft lineups. Indianapolis Colts wide receiver Zach Pascal has a fine matchup of his own. The Cleveland Browns have given up eight touchdowns in four games against wide receivers. Names on the list include the likes of Willie Sneed, Mike Thomas, no, not that Mike Thomas, and Dontrell Inman. As you can see, that's not exactly a high bar to cross. Pascal will have some ups and downs, and Phillip Rivers has struggled, but this is a great matchup, and he's playable in a pinch. Pittsburgh Steelers tight end Eric Ebron comes back from their premature bye week to face the Philadelphia Eagles. He's a fine gamble for owners who are looking for a fill-in tight end or even a flex play. Philadelphia has permitted the position to score once every six and a half catches, which is the fourth highest rate. Just four teams have allowed more yards and more catches to the position in 2020, and a little extra time to prepare works in Pittsburgh's favor. Be sure to stay up on the latest news and notes, especially with COVID-19's impact on fantasy football. For more information, check out thehuddle.com. Yeah, I think he gives us a little booster, um, a little booster that we know we can do. Some of the things we showed out uh, in the last game there versus the Jets, um, but we just have to keep on striving here for the next, uh, you know, couple weeks, but really day by day, and really keep on that momentum that we had um, on those big plays that we had uh, on the defense. And we just need to start thinking about some turnovers. I mean, that's the one thing we haven't gotten a lot of yet, um, and that's the thing we're working on here day by day. And hopefully that gets better. That's just one big thing that we want to accomplish here in the next couple games. Broncos linebacker Josie Jewell right there. Uh, he had himself a game there, John. Yeah, that that was a huge game for him. That was not something I was expecting at all. When they cut Todd Davis, I was like, okay, this is a salary cap saving move. They probably think there's not a huge drop off from Todd Davis to Josie Jewell. But I honestly thought I was like, I don't think Jewell is as good as a linebacker as Davis. And they just want to be they must just want to be saving salary cap space. And I do think the money was a big part of it. But if Jewell keeps playing like he played on Thursday, he's not a step down from Davis at all. The big problem uh, Davis had was in pass coverage. And Jewell's never been much of a guy in coverage either. But he was covering well on Thursday. He had a pass breakup. He had two sacks. Fangio, he doesn't send blitz inside linebackers too, too often, but he did it a lot against the Jets, and it worked really well. So you would think that might be something they keep doing, and Jewel was efficient. I think he had two sacks. He racked up a bunch of tackles. He, he just played really, really well. He really made Broncos fans forget all about Todd Davis. So if he keeps playing like this, their inside linebacker spot's going to be in really good shape because they already have Alexander, who kind of had a little mini breakout year last year. So if Alexander keeps playing well, and if uh, Josie Jewell played like he did on Thursday, their inside linebacker position is set. Yeah, and he also helped Broncos fans forget about that uh, that tackling expedition they did on Sam Darnold early in that ball game. Yeah, that was that, uh, wow. That was terrible. Yikes. I think with Kareem Jackson, Darnold kind of like did a little uh, shake, almost like he was going to go down to the ground and slide. And I don't, I didn't see if Jackson mentioned this after the game or not, but I assume that Jackson thought, okay, he's about to slide. I can't go head first, take out his head when he's sliding, get a 15-yard penalty, get ejected, blah, blah, blah. You know, defenders are put in a tough spot when quarterbacks are running. I was just, when the Patriots playing the Chiefs on Monday, it was a similar situation where Mahomes was kind of running down the sideline and he's going, uh, 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 am I going to go in? Am I going to go out? Nice and the Patriots guy kind of kind of bopped into him as he was going out of bounds and it was a penalty. And I was like, what is, what is he supposed to do? Mahomes is literally acting like, Am I staying in? Am I right. staying out? Like He's trying to it's draw so a flag. Hard. He's flopping. Yeah, it's so hard for defenders to hit or not hit a quarterback. So I kind of understood what happened with Kareem Jackson, but the guys before him, 
it was just terrible form tackling. You just got to wrap up. You can't let a guy pull off a run like that. You know, I think the way you, you hit a quarterback nowadays, John, is what Alexander Johnson did to Darnold when he kind of did the almost like the body slam technique where you throw the quarterback down, but you don't land on him with your body weight. That's what they're trying to take out of the game is, you know, aside from the headshots and the low hits to the knees is the body weight hit. And yeah, that's a gray area right there. You slam the quarterback down and don't land on top of him. There's no flag. And that yeah. seemed like kind of a vicious hit, right, at the time. But it was completely legal. Yeah, you're right. So that's, that's It's a way to be physical with the quarterback and avoid a penalty. At the end of the last segment, I asked you about Tim Patrick. He's been the most added player who's still available in my league. I'm in a 14-team league. Tim Patrick's still sitting there. I got some like underperforming guys on my bench like Brandon Cooks and Nikhil Harry. So I, I could make a move for Tim Patrick if I decided he's a guy that's going to get a lot of volume in the offense. He looked pretty good on Thursday night. I don't know if that's the Jets factor or what, or the Rippin factor. Uh, what do you think about Tim Patrick in fantasy, John? Yeah, I've been a little surprised by him. When Cortland Sutton went down, my thought was, okay, now Jerry Judy and KJ Hamler are going to be the only fantasy relevant receivers and Hamler pretty much only in deeper leagues, but Hamler has a nagging hamstring injury. So that instantly helps Patrick. And then Judy, he made that fantastic, brilliant catch against the Jets. But beside that, besides that, he only had one catch and he's had a handful of drops this year. So with Judy, it's kind of like you can see that he's super talented. He has super potential. And now that I say this, he's probably going to have a breakout game. But so far he's had really bright moments, but not consistency of catching a majority of his targets, making making big plays every time the ball comes to him. Patrick, on the other hand, it may be 10 yards here, 8 yards here, 15 yards here, but he's consistent. He's catching, I think he caught 7 of 8 targets, which that's a really good percentage, and he got in the end zone again. I think that was his second or third time this season that he scored, so you have to take notice of it and be like, okay, Patrick, he really is right now their number one receiver, and as long as he's playing well, I think he deserves fantasy consideration. If you're in a, certainly in a 14-team league, and if you're not happy with your receivers, or if you just have like someone going on IR and you have an open roster spot, I think I would take a flyer on him. I don't know if I'd be comfortable starting him, but if you can afford to sit on him for like a week or two and be like, okay, next week he has 80 yards, the week after that he has 90 yards, he has a touchdown every other game. I think he's someone that you could definitely think about starting in the second half of the season. Tim Patrick getting more opportunities because the Broncos obviously riddled with injuries. The Patriots, their next opponent, riddled with COVID. So John and I will talk about that matchup if it happens. Uh, Coming up, we'll be right back. It's that time again for the line of the week. The inside track to the favorites, the underdogs, and the over-unders. I think I want my money back. Now, here are Jeff Clark and Eston McLaren from USA Today's Sportsbook Wire. Hello, I'm Eston McLaren of SportsbookWire.com and BetSlippin Podcast, and I'm joined by my colleague Jeff Clark. Here's what you need to know to bet on Week 5 Sunday night football matchup between the Minnesota Vikings and Seattle Seahawks. The Seahawks are favored to win by seven points at home. Seahawks plus seven road dogs over under 57 and a half points. Jeff, I know we're both on the Seahawks to win this game and cover the seven points. How do you feel about that over under? Yes, and I'm on the over in this game. Both the Vikings and the Seahawks have gone over the total in three of their four games this season. The Vikings have scored 30-plus in three of their four games, and the Seahawks have scored 30-plus in all four games. 
Also a nice little trend here. The over is cash in four of the last five Seahawks primetime home games with the other game being a push. Overs are abundant in the NFL this season. The sports books are starting to take note. This 57 and a half figure way too high. Sunday night football matchup boosting that up as well. Check out sportsbookwire.com for more with all odds from BetMGM Sportsbook. Subscribe to Bet7 Podcast. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. All right, John. So there's no betting line to talk about in this game because, you know, that game's off the board right now. We don't know if the game's going to happen. We don't know what Patriots players might be missing this game. We do know it's pretty likely that Stephon Gilmore, the defensive player of the year in 2019, and Cam Newton, the Patriots starting quarterback, who was off to a great start through three weeks, probably not going to play in this game, which, you know, is a benefit for the Broncos going, you know, over to the East Coast to Foxborough to play the Patriots. So obviously there's some uncertainty here. It looks like the Patriots could be on the verge of a COVID breakout because it's not a good sign after they traveled home from Kansas City that more positive tests are, are coming up. So as you're preparing your content for the Broncos wire, like how are you approaching this game, like this matchup? It's kind of tough, right? You don't know who is going to be on the field for the Patriots. We don't know if this game is going to be played. For now, you just got to act as if it's happening. And if it doesn't go from there when a decision is made. But initially, after watching the Patriots and Chiefs on Monday, I was like, okay, the Patriots offense without Cam Newton is awful. (laughs) Neither of these two backup quarterbacks are getting it done. And you're like, okay, maybe the Broncos have a shot against them. But then you're like, okay, they nearly shut down Patrick Mahomes. Like the Chiefs had a few plays here and there, but for the most part, the best offense in the NFL was contained. You got Brett Rippon. He's no Patrick Mahomes. You feel like the Patriots defense is going to be able to completely shut him down. So you're not feeling very confident, but then Gilmore, as you mentioned, one of the best players in the NFL, the defensive player of the year, a year ago, he's out and you're like, okay, maybe even the Patriots defense is struggling a little bit. And obviously you never want anybody to get COVID. You hope both of them fully recover and you hope both of them recover quickly. But for the Broncos, it's like, wow, this is such a scenario for them. What if they are able, they beat a bad Jets team. Yes, they were bad. Now they play the Patriots, who may be without two of their best players, two of their better players. At the Yeah, I think it's fair to say two of their best players on offense and defense. They're two best players, yeah. Go, yeah, exactly. If, if you go to New England, I still think it's a long shot to beat them. But if you go to New England and get a win, suddenly you're two and three. And then after that, you've got the Dolphins, who haven't been this hot this year. And who knows? Maybe you can get to three and three, 500. So it's it's kind of a perfect storm for the Broncos if the game is even played, like you mentioned. But I'm not so certain that Newton won't be able to play because if, if he doesn't have symptoms, I think he needs to pass like two tests in five days or something like that since he pe- tested positive over the weekend. So I don't know what his situation is. I'm not uh, breaking news or anything like that. But just depending on if he has symptoms or not, depending on if he can pass some tests or not, it's possible that he could be back in time for the game. So if Newton is back, you really don't like the Broncos' chances at all. Because like I mentioned, you like the Patriots' defense. Bill Belichick, he's a defensive genius. He's going to figure out how to shut down Rippon. And there's a chance that Locke could come back this week, but is probably going to have a little bit of rust if he does play in his first game back. And like I mentioned, KJ Hamler has a nagging hamstring injury. So you don't you th- you could picture the Broncos offense struggling in New England. And if Newton is back, the Broncos have historically played well against Newton, but he's obviously a much, much harder quarterback to beat than their two backups. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. These next few days are going to be really telling. Yeah, the drop off between Newton and the backups are uh, 
it's almost hard to quantify, John, how, how big that drop-off is. Um, yeah, so Newton does have a chance, and it seems like the reports are that he's asymptomatic. So that just means, like, we we just don't know. When you're asymptomatic, it, you don't know when those negative tests are going to come in. You could continue to get positive tests throughout if you're asymptomatic. So yeah. there's just a lot of it's uncertainty. Yeah, you're right. There is. It's not guaranteed that Newton doesn't play, but it's also kind of feels like a long shot. And, and if he is cleared, will he practice for two weeks? Like, will they put him in there if he doesn't practice for two weeks? I just think that it's there's yeah, some uncertainty. For the Broncos, even if Gilmore, I mean, Gilmore's not going to play, obviously. So the Patriots secondary is still pretty loaded. I think we, we saw a 100-yard game for Melvin Gordon, scored a couple touchdowns. He put the game away with that long run in the fourth quarter. Got to see some more of the run game, I think. Got to stay away from that secondary. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I 100% think they're running on the ground game, especially with Philip Lindsay. He's on track to return from his toe injury this week. They're going to have Gordon. They're going to have Lindsay. And whether it's Rippon making a second career start or Locke being his first game back from a serious shoulder injury, you don't want to lean against either of them against, like you mentioned, a real strong secondary, even without Gilmore. So I think they're going to be a run-heavy offense again. The Patriots are much better than the Jets. I'm, I live out here in New Hampshire, so I'm, a, I'm in Patriots country. Much better team than the Jets, but if Brian Hoyer is the starter, oh man, you got a shot in this ballgame. You do have a <laughs> shot, so be ready for a good game on Sunday afternoon. All right, John, I'll be following all the latest on the Broncos wire. I'm sure things are going to change and news is going to break throughout the week, so I'll be following that. But other than COVID, have a great week. <laughs> Thanks, man. You too. I'll talk to you next week. This USA Today Sports Podcast has been presented by USA Today's Sports Media Group and is available in your favorite podcast store. Make sure to subscribe for weekly updates, the latest fantasy picks from Corey Bonini, and the Huddle Podcast, Inside the Weekly Line, with Sportsbook Wire's Jeff Clark and Eston McLaren, and the Bet Slippin' Podcast. We'll see you again next week.